Hello and welcome to Season 2, Episode 6 of Our Voices, Our Community. Each week we focus on issues that are important to you and our community. We discuss social, political, and economic issues, but also arts and culture and much more. Our goal is to merge local with state and national issues that affect our lives in Roanoke, the New River Valley, and Southwest Virginia. Today, we are joined by Will Solari, Catherine Stromberg, and Karen Jones. Welcome, everyone. Hey. Hey. Hello. You guys have a great Labor Day? I did. Good, good, good. Mine was uneventful, but I spent it with one of my sisters. Y'all know I have three sisters and a thousand nieces and nephews. So I spent it with one of my sisters and my nieces, and it was good times for all. Oh, well, good. I hope you uh, bless them with some kind of gifts of being a good aunt. I am the gift. Auntie <laughs> okay. K is the gift. Okay. <laughs> All right. Will, how are you? I'm doing good. Yeah, good. Yeah. Cool. Great weekend. Yeah, I got older. That oh, was that's exciting. Right. Happy belated. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. You, you turned, what, 22? Uh, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. That's why I've been 22 for 23 years. Yeah, I've been yeah, celebrating that anniversary for a while now. <laughs> <laughs> we're good. Well, for today's show, we're joined by a special guest, and we'll introduce him a little later. But our focus today will be on the meetings that was recently held uh, August 28th and 29th at William Fleming uh, regarding the pavilion development and Evan Springs project. And then we'll also today, we're gonna to discuss drugs. Um, we'll dive into some recent court decisions and bankruptcy and how they may affect uh, Southwest Virginia. And also we're gonna add, since we're talking about drugs, we're gonna talk about e-cigarettes as well. I, I think we believe that is a drug too, am I, am I right? Yes. Well, okay. Maybe. Uh, okay, see there, that's why That's why I had to throw that in there. Nicotine is a drug, yes. Oh, okay. Lots of things right. are drugs, okay. just like Thank lots you. of things are chemicals. Let's not get too worried about the word. Okay. All right, well, let's start with Evan Springs. Um, recently, uh, as I mentioned before, on August 28th and 29th, uh, the Pavilion Development had uh, a meeting, invited the public, the city, to talk about uh, the recent development going on in Evan Springs. Um, Evan Springs development is a 130-acre development that's going to be in the northwest area where it's going to be commercial, uh, commercial and mixed-use developments. Um, I recently attended that meeting, and um, it was, uh, I have to admit that it was it was the first meeting on the 28th was, I think it was a good crowd on the 28th. The 29th, it was very scattered um, in that. And um, it was a lot of the residents there gave some feedback, um, especially around the issue of uh, thinking that they've already made decisions already in the community, so why are we even having it? It's basically some of the feedback I re uh, that was received. Um, it was uh, it was interesting to see um, a lot of environmentalists um, mm. coming to the event, uh, coming to the uh, meetings and expressing that. I know uh, former uh, Councilman Rupert Cutler uh, actually wrote an editorial talking about the storm water drainage and and also in the greenways and making sure that the environment is safe and when they're going to do the 
the development. But I guess my question is also, which is important, is very important, but the impact on these residents, is this, is this another, form or, or another form of gentrification going on in, in the Northwest? So I think, um, particularly in talking to people that are going to be directly affected and some other folks that um, attended that meeting, I think that's definitely the fear. Um, I think that Pavilion, I mean, so it's great that they came and decided to have community meetings after there was a community uproar, right? They didn't do those prior to. They waited for there to be a little bit of community um, concern. I won't say outrage yet, but concern to have the meeting. And what I found interesting based on what people shared with me is just their lack of wanting to talk about anything. Like, what are their plans? What is it going to look like? How is it going to impact the community? Are the residents of Northwest, which are predominantly African-American, are they going to be in some ways pushed out? Is what, you know, is what's coming going to be a benefit um, to that particular community? Um, and how does that look? And I think people left more with more questions than answers. Yeah, I, um, I, I attended both um, sessions and they really didn't give a lot of answers. I mean, they I think they started out saying that they just wanted to hear feedback mm-hmm. at the beginning of those meetings, which is, I mean, which is, makes sense. Um, but I think, you know, the fact that people were, were asking questions they didn't have answers for um, kind of starts uh, the suspicion mm-hmm. of about what they're hiding. Now, I know that they're submitting um, plans for zoning in November. Um, is, is my understanding according, according to them. I mean, the hard thing about this is, I think, for people to imagine what's going to go in there, right? So mm-hmm. if you came to people and you said, we're going to put in a grocery store, I think you'd have a lot of support, right? right. I mean, you might see there be a different tenor to the conversation. Mm-hmm. But um, if you said, hey, we're going to put in a gun range, um, there might be a different tenor, too. Those are both commercial uses right. and um, with, you know, sharply different um, community impacts. Yeah. And so when we when we see these developments and you don't get to know what's going in and what the community impact is going to be different businesses have different impacts. And then, you know, also the, like you said, the environmental concerns without being such a large area of mm-hmm. green space and us knowing that, you know, we're, we're developing land and pulling things up that maybe we need. Right. Right. Yeah. I think too, it's difficult to provide feedback when you're not giving me anything. Right. Like what am I feedback into? Exactly. Yeah. I mean, you're not providing anything any idea, nothing concrete, like nothing. And so that just leaves this huge question and wonder, like, what are you doing to my neighborhood, to my community? Well, I mean, you know, there's a, a smart business thing to do is always to under promise and over deliver. But there's also the opposite of that, where you do have the ability and the occasion to do something that addresses people's issues, to do something that's better than just, you know, the, the minimal requirements and what it takes to build a building and put electricity in it or whatever. And I don't understand why, if you have some resistance, 
why, if you're a developer or if you're anyone in this in these kind of situations, why you don't do more? Why don't you don't quell fears by going, hey guys, guess what? We do have a really innovative stormwater system that recycles the water. We're going to put solar in this building. We're going to do rooftop gardens. We're going to do really, you know, some things that even might have a small impact, but at least would have a really good PR spin on them. And they just go, meh, you know what? We probably don't have to. It's probably cheaper for us to pay a lawyer to tell you guys to, to, to take a hike than it is for us to do something that would make everybody happy. Yeah. I think one of the, one of the main things I thought that was interesting coming out of that, those meetings was, uh, a gentleman talked about the economy in recent events. The uh, gentleman mentioned the fact that, you know, when they built Valley view, there was a lot of promises of retailers coming in and into that area. And then they had a hard time. Eventually, they did, but it was a it was a process they had to, to do to get through that. Now, I, the economy is is good to some people. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, <if> you, <laughs> to some people, the economy is good. To others, I mean, that's debatable. But you know, we're we're looking toward what's all the tea leaves. You know, I like looking at tea leaves a little bit, but. <laughs> It looks like going into 2020, I don't think the economy is going to be as great as it is in 2019. Mm-hmm. Is this a good time for an expansion? Is it a good time? And, and are they of going to, space. and the promises of providing the type of, they mentioned a grocery store. They didn't tell you what type of grocery store, yeah, right. but also, um, you know, the type of grocery store, the type of business is going to be, are they going to be there when they start working on this development? And I think that's a really huge question. And then also, even if they do pick a, a grocery in there, we need to make sure that is it going to is it really going to fit the means with a, of the current neighbors, or are you creating a, mm-hmm. a new clientele for others to move in that is not aligned with the current residents of that neighborhood? Yeah, I mean, it's just so many open-ended questions. And when you have them like that, it just is really hard to um, either get together to say, yes, we want this, or no, we don't. And I mean, mm-hmm. that's, I, I think leaving people in that limbo is unfortunate. Yeah. And I mean, I think that you're, I think you're very right in terms of the, you know, looking ahead. And when we see these boom, like these end of boom developments that then go empty, that actually can turn into blight right. in a neighborhood real fast. And yes. that would be the absolute worst out is to have this like green space turned into blight space. Yes. No thanks. We just, we kind of have that um, in Christiansburg. I don't know if you all been, but um, the marketplace, which was a development. And in fact, when it was built, that's where Walmart was originally. Then they moved Walmart and the marketplace stayed empty forever. Like probably for as long as not as long as I've been alive, but close. It feels like it. Um, but it turned into this huge eyesore. Now there's a new developer coming in. They're tearing down and doing all these things. But it took years, I, minimum 15 years, for something to happen. And so is that same thing going to happen with Evan Springs? Um, is it going to turn you know Northwest into this just empty wasteland, which it could, because if you just have retail space and nothing there, that's what happens. But then also we know the types of jobs um, that come with retail, more than likely they're going to be, you know, minimum wage. So they're not going to be um, as fruitful as maybe we would like. They're probably going to be seasonal, Um, you know, more hiring during the holidays versus 
all year round. Um, but not only that, I think the transportation issue, I was reading how that could, with the schools um, being there, the transportation is an issue. It just seems like there are so many things that haven't been thought through outside of the dollar. Well, and, and this is in part is due to lack of sort of oversight or rules and regulations around how people develop within the city. You know, there, there is a lot of, um, there had been a lot of talk, especially when John Garland was on council, about how you can just, if you want to develop in the city, all you have to do is submit a plan. It doesn't have to have a name of the business. It doesn't have to say what it's going to do. You just have to look at a blueprint and go, well, yeah, it's structurally sound, so I guess you can build it. And I don't think that should be the case. You know, often when you give people... It's not always putting people in a box, but often if you define that box, then it allows for people's creativity or uh, a developer, in this example, um, to kind of make them think differently than just being like, well, we're just going to do what we do because it's money. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? There's When you say, hey, listen, we have these kind of green regulations for new developments. They need to include X, Y, and Z. You know what? Like, we think you're up to the task instead of just being like, well, just, you know. Maybe. Hopefully you'll do something good. You won't put a Walmart in here, which, again, you know, gives people jobs, but it also gives jobs where people have to be on on uh, welfare and other kinds of social programs just to make a living because Walmart won't pay them enough money. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. that kind of responsible development, creating some kind of laws about that, talking to city council or whoever else, those are the people that would, would, would make those kind of regulations and rules. Mm-hmm. So I know... Um no, so I know that the process now is that there's submitting plans to the zoning zoning board, and then of course after that they will, if they approve, which probably they will, then it will go into uh, public hearings. And uh, I noticed that um, I do ha- I do want to admit that I noticed that three uh, of our city council members were there um, at the at the meetings. Um, um, they happen. All three of them happen to be of color, <laughs> which was interesting. Um, I, I, yeah, I think this is more of a Roanoke issue, not just Northwest, because mm-hmm. this is going to be one of the largest development um, in, 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 in one of our history here in Roanoke. But, uh, but I did notice that the, those three council uh, people did show. And so, um, one question that was interesting to me with the zoning, because another uh, 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 another young lady. Uh, mentioned it uh, was asking okay so you go and she seems very familiar with the zoning process because once they approve the plans they can change it mm-hmm. <laughs> they can change the plans after they say oh yeah we're going to do this and yeah. present it that way yeah and then after they've approved it they can just change the plans it was interesting that she brought that up and and it was i would what my grandmother always say it was crickets <laughs> yeah, and I think you have to be flexible. But again, why don't you have rules against that? Yeah. Because, I, well, you yeah. know. Go ahead, Kath. So, I mean, my understanding from watching some things happen in Blacksburg, because actually my brother is sort of a developer. Mm-hmm. Um, he works for a developer. Um, is that, you know, you can have proffers for like a zoning change. You can say, I proffer this. And, and you make hard and fast promises in exchange for that zoning change. And those proffers are not negotiable, right? If you put a proffer in there and that's part of the agreement to change the zoning, you can't, you know, you can't then go back on that deal. Okay. Um, but, you know, m- my understanding is that if they just put in a blanket 
zoning change mm-hmm. and they change the zoning and you don't have any proffers in there, you're absolutely right. They can Then it's called by right development. And if they own the land by right, they can develop it however they like. And so um, now, you know, Blacksburg has very different problems in mm-hmm. that they tend to actually mess up and like do a lot of NIMBY stuff where they won't let people build more density and like alleviate some of the problems and actually push um, people out of the town by not doing enough development to meet right. demand. But I don't necessarily, I mean, do we need, the key question is, what are our housing needs? What are our commercial needs? And if we don't have those needs, why are we changing the zoning? If we don't have a current need, all we're doing is creating something more that's newer of a, of a, of a type of building that we do not actually require more of. We just need somebody to go in and buy something that we already have and rehab it, mm-hmm. you know, redevelop mm-hmm. it. Um, you know, instead of develop, instead of developing untouched land. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I, I mean, and the, it's at those zoning changes that people really have that maximum chance to say no. And that is where the Blacksburg people, the NIMBY people tend to say no, yeah. is at that zoning change point. But uh, but that is also why we have to be involved in processes earlier. Right. Yes. So having people that are on the zoning commission that can speak up or um really being in tune to when these meetings and things are happening that we can go to and attend so that we can express what it is that we need. Because Catherine, you're right. Like with those proffers, those are like vitally important and can help a community be the community it wants to be or sustain the type of community um, that it's been striving for. So we also have to be really mindful and encourage people to take part in a lot of these things that may seem boring and blah, and I don't want to do it, but it really helps to shape who our community is. So, so proffers, huh? that's a term I have never used. You sound like you've been in the development <laughs> business, Catherine. No, I just hang out with my brother yeah, and he yeah, says big words. Oh, okay. Proffers. Okay. I've learned something today. Go ahead, William. Well, again, I think, it, you know, there's a there's a beautiful green space on Brandon, sort of between Brambleton and Franklin that, that has now been sold. And I don't think people really think long and hard enough about what green spaces do for just their daily drive until they're gone. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And I'm, I'm, I'm an advocate for, like you guys were mentioning earlier, just using the spaces we have. We have more than enough spaces with, with the empty Norfolk Southern buildings. We have more than enough spaces on Shanto. If they're going to build a retail space next to a struggling retail space, is that really in the best interest of, of the residents of Roanoke or even the existing uh, businesses. Mm. So again, I mean, I'm, I, I do think that those things, if we can keep them green, leave it that way. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, I know again, uh, they're submitting their plans to the zoning, zoning board and, and, you know, if they get approval, they'll go to a public hearings. And so we definitely advise everyone, you know, what I want to make sure is that people get involved in this process. Mm-hmm. I mean, they do not realize the impact that is going to have on their their community if this goes through. Um, and, you know, we, you, you, if you're not involved in it, then, you know, you can't really say anything when it happens. Mm-hmm. You can't complain after the fact. Yeah, so it doesn't, that doesn't work. So, um, again, uh, we'll stay on top of that. I know for us in Colors VA Magazine, we're going to do an update on our article in October mm-hmm. to, to, to try to write up a story about the updates of what's been going on. But, again, it's up to the community to be heavily involved in this process and make sure we keep them accountable on there. Mm-hmm. Okay, so let's uh, move on. We're going to introduce our special guest today. Um, 
and that's Mr. Lawson Copel. Is I'm saying that correct, sir? Close, Keppel. Keppel? Yeah. Keppel. Keppel. Okay, I got it. So you are the co-founder of Virginia Harm Reduction Coalition, and the mission of the Virginia Harm Reduction Coalition is to improve our community's health by advocating for, implementing, and developing evidence-driven solutions to the adverse effects of drug use. We do this by addressing health inequalities through outreach to marginalize, stigmatize, and criminalize Oh, that's, you're rapping now. <laughs> populations. <laughs> and advocacy for health policies that address the concerns of these, po- of these populations. And the, par- and the partnerships with other nonprofit, private, and government agencies. Lawson, welcome. Thanks. I'm grateful to be here. I know that's a mouthful. Mostly that's for granters, well, not necessarily all, the public consumption. Well, that's but all that's, right. I like to marginalize, stigmatize, yes, criminalize. Had a little rhythm to it. Yes, so, sir. You know, I had to get that into there. But, but seriously, welcome today, sir. Glad to be here. So share share your story in founding the Virginia Harm Reduction. Sure. Um, it, the, the story, there's an important person that's not here today, is my co-founder, Tanya Segura. She mm-hmm. and I met over a year ago, actually, when I was in school, okay. um, actually in a substance use class. And uh, she came in her role, in her previous role at her job, to talk about harm reduction services here in Roanoke. And they're limited um, with what we do have in place. And uh, she and I met there. And one of the policy pieces that I was working on at that time was the syringe program. Um, At that point, uh, Chief Jones had just said no um, to the proposal that the drop-in center had. And I knew how valuable a health service that is at a very basic level for some of the folks here in Roanoke and knew how important it was to try to get that through. Um, She and I talked about it. We we found some other like minds, got together and started talking to community leaders here in the valley and saying, you know, you can't just take a no. Um, a, A public service employee can't dictate health policy here in the valley. And so we started talking about that and kind of getting the conversation going again. Um, and luckily, you know, over a year later at this point, the the drop-in center's gotten their approval from the state. Um, we don't know when that's opening. All we hear is the fall. Um, we haven't heard anything else from that. But but that's that's been a big piece. Um, and in the meantime, we realize folks still need a service. We can advocate and people need help. Um, and so we looked at formally filing a 501c3 um, and did that, got those papers in December of last year, um, looked at starting to distribute naloxone. I imagine we'll talk a little bit more about that um, and offering folks sterile supplies um, for injection drug use um, and other drug use and helping them protect their health and save their lives and save the lives of their friends. Okay. I see you brought us uh, an example of this. This is the uh, opiate overdose rescue kit. Right. Um, And I have a bunch, and we'll talk about that after this. We'll talk about how to use this so that all of you actually have and are armed with naloxone so you can take it out into your community. Oh, okay. When I initially saw it, and I know we've kind of talked before the show, it reminded me me of the show Get Them to the Greek. But uh, (laughs) it's not quite the it's not the same. It's not the same. Okay. It's not quite, but it is. It's magic. I mean, it is literally the breath of life. For somebody really? that is dying of an overdose due to opioids, that is the antidote. It is the only antidote. Yeah. Um, when I talk to groups around, even folks who have used drugs for years and talk to them about myths behind overdoses and reversals, I hear a lot of things. And some of them sound funny, right? But mm. they're trying their best to keep themselves and their friends alive, and they're trying almost anything out there. But that's it. So what initiatives and programs are you involved in? 
Um, so we're we're working with the advocacy piece. That's how we were born, okay. um, and we're trying very hard. So. Virginia in 2017 put to put in place what they call a comprehensive harm reduction law, and that allowed for the existence of syringes here in Virginia, and thankfully, right? Um, the problem is it's a flawed law. Um, it requires a lot of things that an ideal law wouldn't. Number one, uh, sign off by law enforcement officers. Number two, sign off by politicians. Pol- I would submit that politicians and law enforcement officers shouldn't be the ones dictating health policy in the community. That's that's my submission there. Why? Why? Why, why do you? Why do you think that? Um, because uh, because at, historically, law enforcement is at odds, right? If we look at research mm-hmm. with health, um, when we arrest folks for doing drugs, we make their lives worse. We don't improve their lives and get them out of a stuck point, possibly. Okay. Um, if we leave it up to the whims of politicians, those politicians change, right? And then our health policy changes. So that, and that we've seen that in West Virginia with their syringe programs. Charleston, West Virginia was doing a tremendous job. In fact, they were overwhelmed with what they needed to do. Um, and the leadership changed in that city, both police and the folks at, at the mayor's office. And all of a sudden that program was shut down. Wow. And the research that's come back afterwards has said, hey, you really hurt this community by doing that. And you didn't involve the people that you were serving. And that's an important part of harm reduction kind of as we move forward is, is, and I see that a lot at the tables when we have these conversations. What I don't see, I see a lot of communities having concern and having conversations about this, but what I don't see are the people that need service, right? Being a part of driving that policy. That's interesting. So what can, what can Roanoke and Southwest Virginia do to kind of eliminate to reduce this harm? So that's a great question. Um, and there's a lot of things. Luckily, we have evidence-based services that we can deliver folks, and they're effective. And we've seen this for decades, right? The problem is it becomes a controversy because what we run up against are all the things that we've been taught since we were kids, right? Dare, right? Drugs are bad. Drugs are bad. Don't do them. That's how you get out of it, right? So, And we've been told that for yeah. decades. We've been told that since the 1914 Harrison Narcotics Act, mm-hmm. right? It is a long, racist, like, trail of history of where these laws were put in place. The 1970s, when the Nixon administration came mm-hmm. in and said drugs are enemy number one, right? right. They were targeting the African-American community, and they were targeting the hippity. Hippies. Meanwhile, Nixon was drunk most nights. Yeah, so, I mean, and he was using substances, right? Yeah, and this is the problem, right? Yeah, we have this... Fact, uh, I'm pretty sure that's a historical <laughs> fact. I'm going to pass it off to Will to confirm. <laughs> yeah, I spent a lot of time drinking with Nixon. <laughs> <laughs> Can confirm. Yeah. Yeah. Good. So, so we have right. So that's the that's this this dissociative idea, right? Like we use substances and we demonize them, right? Right. Mm-hmm. What like what what do we expect when somebody comes home from a hard day at work? Yeah. What do they do? Yeah. So we're going to have a drink. Right? They get yeah. a drink. Yeah. And 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 if we look at the harm that alcohol causes our community, mm-hmm. our person, and we kind of hold that up against the harm that heroin does, if you take away the laws, right, that it criminalizes it, mm-hmm. and you look at the harm that that does, those two things are almost indistinguishable, right? Mm-hmm. And so it's irrational. Okay. And so what we're doing is we're, we've, we're, we're kind of following all of these, these this, this history and trying to kind of come up against that. And, and so a lot of it's advocacy, right, and stigma reduction to say, look, these implementations work. I know you think that what I'm doing is adding to the problem, but what I'm trying to do is bring some compassion to this instead of some punishment. I'm trying to help somebody protect their lives and protect the lives of their friends and their community, and I'm trying to help them protect their health, right? 
That's some good points. That's good points. So this is where we get the bunch. I call them the bunch. Now we'll be asking you some questions, Lawson. Uh, go ahead, Will. I mean, what are some of the ways that you think the perception of opioids have changed in light of, you know, it used to be that, uh, you know, the friends that you had did heroin, you'd be like, yeah, I knew. But those were just that dude was going to be that guy. He was that rock star wannabe or he was the whatever. Like, But now, like, because of opioids, everyone seems to at least have some kind of interaction with with heroin. Do you think that has changed the perception at all of, of drug addiction, or do you think that it's, you know, in some ways made it worse? So the narrative changes, right? Like, if you look at depictions of people who used heroin or opiates back in the early 1900s, it was middle-class white women in boudoirs, mm-hmm. right? So that was the—and what happened was, all of a sudden, people of color decided that they wanted to try drugs, too, and then that scare kind of put that law in place. So the narrative changes, right? And then all of a sudden, it's the punk rocker in the 70s. Or, or the jazz musician, right? So, I mean, what we're finding out, I believe, is that the people we love do drugs. Like, period. Right? It's not that stereotype. It's not that narrative. It turns out people we love use substances. And it turns out we use substances, right? On a daily basis. Um, and that, I think, is what, the narr- what, what has changed. People are aware. And I hate that it took deaths to bring that awareness. Mm-hmm. But that's what it's brought, right? We all know, I imagine, in this room, if I ask... Who knows somebody who's died, right, from from drug use? I think we probably can all raise our hands. And I think that's the narrative that's changed. It's it's not what we would call the gutter junkie, right? And is in his spike collar in the in the in the in an alley. Yeah, I mean I think it's funny because with um, you know, some of the some of the research that's been done that I've seen is that, you know, we're talking about like lifespan shortening too. I mean, it's not just a matter of you know, people who, you know, are overdosing, but it's a matter of all the secondary harms that can come with certain substances. And it's, you know, it's a matter of, you know, like people, people kind of look at it as a lot of things in life as an on off switch or a zero one type situation. And I'm just, everything I see, I'm just more and more resistant to that, that, that you have to have an on off switch. And especially um, what I hear a lot is that, when you're when you're coming like out of jail, um, if you've been incarcerated, that or and and you've been sort of for, or, or you've been in a treat or actually you've been in a treatment program where you've um, gotten quote unquote clean, yeah. and then you come out, yeah. and if you have any sort of relapse, that that's a super dangerous time, and and I, I, you know that that just seems like a striking thing to me that the treatment then generates a super gener- dangerous time, and it seems like. I don't know. You know, yes. what, are, what are your thoughts on those kinds of like cold turkey, zero one type treatments? So taking a step back, right, like I've got to check myself on black and white thinking, right? I think I've got the solution. So I think it's a human, I think it's a human condition, right? We like, oh, I'm right. I've got this. It's black or white. So I've got to check that on myself. So it's, it's a natural condition. Um, and, and there is a spectrum. It is not just death or life, right? Like people can use drugs successfully, it turns out. The only ones we hear about and the only ones media portrays and the only things we see, we've gotten some good, some interesting narratives, right, of the person next door that I love that would not have been otherwise in a stereotype. But, but mostly that's kind of what we're shown historically, right? That's the dare approach, right? These are what th- these are. This is bad. Um, and there are harms that do come. Death, right? Like, that's amazing that, that substance use changed the average age that, he, that an American lives to. Like, that's significant. That's scary. Like, the number of people that fit in Lane Stadium plus 10,000 died last year, right? Mm-hmm. Like, that's amazing. 
Um, so there are other things that come along with it, right? Death is the baseline. That's why I've got naloxone. That's why I'll give it to anybody. That's why I'll teach anybody how to use it, right? That's a baseline. I've got to keep you alive, friend. I want you to stay alive. I need you to be alive. There are other harms that come with that. So with um, there are some very specific ones, right? With injection drug use, there's hepatitis C. And it's almost ubiquitous in the drug using community. When I go talk to folks about hepatitis C, I get this question. And again, it sounds naive and silly, but they say, can I give myself hep C? But it's because it's so much a part of, of what's going on that they think they just had it, right? Um, mm. And so having to have that education to say, look, no, this is how you got it. And here are the sterile things and, and the health approaches you can take to prevent from giving it to your partner, from giving it to your friend, to take from getting it from your partner and getting it from your friend, right? So we look at like an HIV outbreak in West Virginia right now in Huntington. So right. it's interesting that that's a cluster because apparently Huntington is the only place that's doing HIV testing. So we don't know what the rest of the state looks like necessarily, really? right? So, and, and it's the only really robust program and they're starting to put in place the same sort of limitations that were in place in Charleston. So you're looking at a place that was a buffer, buffer. I think you're, I can't remember the exact number. And if I say a number, I'm going to make it up, but, right. um, but like you're looking at an, a place that was prepared for this, right. That did a good job is I know the gentleman running it. He's doing a great job at that health department and they're all good people and they're still in the midst of this. And they're still having the community come down and try to put clamps on. Why are there not any other programs similar to that in other parts of the year? So there are. So, so there are harm reduction services and syringe services in West Virginia, but it's hard. Okay. Um, West Virginia, like Virginia, has some pretty rough laws, right, to navigate. Um, if we look at best case scenarios, what we look at is North Carolina. Um, in North Carolina, instead of having to go through the Department of Health, you simply tell the Department of Health, hey, I'm reg I register. These are the services I'm going to deliver, and I'm going to, you're going to hold me to these things. I'm going to give, give my hand out in the lockdown. I'm going to dispose of used syringes. I'm going to connect people to care that want it. I'm going to, I'm going to honor their agency. And if they ask me for care, I'm going to connect them to that, right? Um, and, and so what you have are literally small community groups, faith-based groups out there on the streets making human connections to these mm -hmm. people, right? A, a group that is not just like not had human connection, but it's been targeted for what they do. And the, the life changing piece of that is huge. Mm -hmm. So you take that. That's what's happening in North Carolina. And that's the law we're trying to work with the GA to put in place next year. Chances are slim, but that's what we're trying to do. You look at what we're doing, right? So they served 9,600 folks last year in North Carolina. All the harm reduction programs did. Here in Virginia, I think it was 260 <gasps> since 2017. So we got out 28,000 syringes here in Virginia since 2017. I know of underground groups here in, in Virginia that got out 38,000 to 40,000 in six weeks. So what we're doing, what we're doing is we're still, we're approaching a health problem that we have solutions to with the same moral framework that we've brought into this, right? And that prevents us from being able to, to reach that. Because it's not about the tools, right? It is, right? It is and it's not. It's not about the tools. It's not about a syringe. It's not about naloxone. It's not about the other things. It's about that relationship okay. and showing somebody that they're human and that they, I, their life is worth saving. Well, go ahead. I just have a question because... Um, the two things that I'm about is meeting people where they are, which is exactly what it sounds like North Carolina is doing. Like you meet people where they are and um, provide them the best options at that moment and build those relationships. So meeting people where they are. But then the other piece is the advocacy piece. Yep. And I guess my, my question to you is, um, because I work with organizations and 
it's all about the advocacy piece. Yeah. Um, how do we become better advocates? Like, how do I empower, when I'm at church, I do these things called community conversations, and yeah. we talk about social issues, you yeah. know? How do I empower people to understand the work and get involved in work? Then the other piece, I work with the NAACP, and yeah. we are all issue-based and being advocates. How do I, Thank you. like, how do we empower people to do that? Because if Virginia can model North Carolina, how much better would we be? We'd be so better off, right? So so right now, we're prime, right? West Virginia, the winds are blowing this way. That's mm -hmm. what's coming. And we don't have an insulating factor. We don't have a protective factor with a syringe program. I don't know what the drop-in center's timeline is, right? Um, and there's nothing else here in the West except down in Wise. We do have Smith County, excuse me. So we have Smith and Wise. We have very small programs down in those communities. And we don't have anything here in Roanoke. Education, right? Like being able to see, like moving, trying to help. And it's not just here's a fact, right? It's moving from a black and white piece to a spectrum, uh -huh. right? It's, it, 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 it is black and white. It's a death and life. We're literally talking about black and white issue to some degree. Uh -huh. but, but to get past that, you got to talk about a spectrum. You got to talk, and we've got to be honest, right? I know people who use drugs, and I love them. Uh -huh. And, the, their, and their worth and their value doesn't change because they inject a substance or snort a substance or drink a substance, right? Um, so it's, it, it, you've got to bring – so advocacy is, is bringing a narrative to the table and having done your homework, right? Like, like you know, it's, it's being able to sit down and maybe offer that experience to somebody. Like, here's somebody that's a good human being and they use drugs. Let's talk. Right. And that's part of it. Right. And it's hard as somebody who uses drugs to like advocate for yourself because you're criminalized. Right. Like as soon as you admit that you're yeah. a criminal. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so that's a really tough population to work with. Well, and, and that, you know, I think I think what you guys are doing and, and especially the some of the programs you recognize are fantastic. And I and I just my worry is always the big picture long term. Right. If you have. You know, people are always going to have problems probably with addiction because it's human nature. You know, it's, it's part of our DNA. It's sort of the way that we're built. But also, if we, were, if, if we were taking that piece and battling it against sort of a classist thing where a group, you know, like with the whole, you know, all the lawsuits going on right now, like those people were knowingly creating huge, massive problems for profit and for, I mean, how do you, and on a, like a, literally, I think it gets down to a, philosophical level, how do you change society in a way that makes people aware of, of addictions, whether it's, again, these people who are just, their greed is that deep that they don't care about those things, um, or that, you know, just addiction in general is part of, of our, our, our just genetics, the way that we're built. I mean, how do you, again, kind of turn the whole culture on that? Because I know, like, you like, a lot of great solutions, so I'm like, okay, well, then what next? What, what's the big, how do we, you know, and again, not to get black and white, but how do we get there? That hurts because that's such a big mountain. Sure. That is such a big mountain. And this is, I mean, so, like, it's not just that these people were in these places, right? Like, they were targeted. Right. One of the biggest predictors when you look at overdose mortality, right, they looked at the last one of the last studies I read, looked at primary care providers, uh, medication assisted treatment and employment rates. And the biggest predictor was employment rate. Right. So this is a class issue. This is this is exactly a class issue. There's a reason why when you look at overdose maps, there is a scar that runs through Appalachia. Right. Kentucky, West Virginia, North Carolina, Tennessee, Virginia, Western Virginia. Um, 
So, I mean, it, it is a class issue, and, and that's a bigger piece, right? And this is my slice, man. This is my slice of pie to, to try to help out. And I can do that with one conversation, hopefully, at a time. I can do that with, with some publication of facts and stories that other folks are doing. I can do that most effectively by empowering the people that use drugs to tell their story, to teach them how to tell that story effectively to an audience that will listen. And that has power, right? Because I, I can tell my story all I want. I got to tell it to the right person that's got the right decision. Well, well, oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Oh, well, I just, you know, the thing that really gets me is that, you know, people who are sort of an elite get away with using drugs in a way okay. that, you know, I watch people, you know, do drugs. I've done drugs, alcohol mostly, yep. um, you know, in ways that have not been good for me and then had to cut back. Right. And, and um, you know, I don't not necessarily like. You know, you see that in retrospect and you say, oh, I need to drink a little less. And like maybe that t process sometimes takes years, you know, of changing your habits. And sometimes I think we use like a word addiction when a word like habit is like a way better word. Like it's just a habit and like it's ingrained in your daily life and you continue to do it because habits are hard to break. Mm -hmm. And so, it's you know, the fact point. that we talk about like, quote unquote, relapse, like, you know, if I don't go to the gym, is that a relapse? Like, you know, like, I mean, I mean, like, so you're right. But, Relapse is part of that black yeah. and white picture right. of abstinence yeah. or not. Yeah, right. yeah, yeah. Well, so I just it drives me nuts that people like are not allowed to talk about drugs in a way like where like we admit that caffeine is a drug that people are regularly dosing themselves with. Like meth was a drug that you know like armies have used for centuries to conquer. The difference um, between the difference between meth and um, ADHD medications is uh -huh, income. Uh -huh. Is income. Yes, yes, Adderall, yes, yes. The difference between Adderall and meth is income and, and amount, right. right? So chemistry is amazing because these are the things I like. I, I know from chemistry, right? Yeah. And, um, and you know, that my husband has also taught me from med school. But, yeah, like, it's crazy, these things that, like, we know. Like, you know, what is, you know, what is, you know... You know, oxy, of course, is like not great, but you know, you can have some, and you know, and and after a surgery, it might be necessary. You know, or like all the like, I mean, the the um, the people who have some of the worst substance abuse problems are actually the um, I I've learned from my husband are the ones who know the most about them. Mm -hmm. So um, people in the hospital, but then they like they have their own very separate and very weird culture of like how they deal with their drug use. That yeah is like entirely different and god they don't talk about it i just wish people would talk about it more you yeah. know yeah um well actually you brought up um, um opiates so let's talk a little bit about that real quick um i know there was some judgments that happened recently uh, one from purdue farmer the maker of oxycodone um, agreed to a 270 million dollar settlement within the state of oklahoma and Teva, the world's largest generic drum maker, also um, agreed to a settlement as well. Um, so they're now starting to go after these opiate uh, drug makers. And then also, I think with uh, Teva, Johnson & Johnson is also included in this yep. as well. They are. Yeah, they are. So they're also included in this as well. I mean, that's the maker of baby powder. <laughs> so so the, problem, the, the problem is, the problem is Brown Lee in downtown Roanoke had these guys on the hook years ago and yeah. Obama and the Obama administration let them off. Yeah. They really? could have shut oh. Purdue down years oh, ago and the Obama administration let them off the hook. Thanks, Obama. Um, yeah. My gas prices went up. Thanks, Obama. Obama. Right. So, so, so I'm not going to So I mean, th that was an administrative decision. Yeah. And, and the, the problem, though, too, is to take 
take a step back, and, and if we keep focusing on supply side things, we're missing the picture, right? Mm. Um, I, so much has just been covered in the last ten minutes to address, like, and and, <laughs> and and like you know, I mean, people are going to use drugs, whether Purdue Farm is there or not, right? People yeah. are going to use substances. Here's, go ahead. Uh, well, but I, I do think it's one of those things where you. It's pretty easy to take a snapshot sometimes of these things and go, this is probably bad. I mean, I, I, I was someone who was on, you were talking about meth and legal meth earlier. You know, I was on Adderall for like 15 years because my parents were just like, oh, he didn't like school. So there you go. And so at some point, yeah, at some point in my adult life, when they switched over, when Adderall's uh, patent ran out and generic forms of it came out, the generic form of Adderall is just called amphetamine salt. <laughs> there you go. And I remember going to my doctor and being like, hey, so I've been this in a long time, and uh, I got some real concerns now that I'm actually reading, you know, what this is. <laughs> and I was like, what's the long-term effects? And my doctor's like, nobody knows. You're ground zero, kid. Yeah. I was like, cool. So, and, and these things are just allowed to happen. And again, those are, and, and it's not even as bad as like what was happening with opioids, but we're just like, this is, you know, it. It's relatively safe. Somebody's going to make some money. It, it could be a zoning development. It could be whatever. But we're like, mm. yeah, expect the best. But mm. never really plan for the worst or mm. assume the worst in those situations. Well, you know, it's interesting, and I, I, I have to bring this up, uh, being being a black man, um, because um, I, and I understand the importance of what's going on right now with the opiate. Uh, epidemic that's here and it's important we need yeah. to address it but it's interesting to me and interest it's interesting to me back in the 80s when the crack epidemic uh, hit hit our neighborhoods and really destroyed a lot of people in the, in the african-american community and people of color um i mean there really wasn't all these resources that were developing now now the, the resources were law enforcement that came in and made the situation law. worse well, yeah. that was the solution right yeah. if somebody's of color the solution is is bars right? right it turns out when we have these narratives and thank goodness we have them because we do have resources now but no the justice piece of that is messed up right, right? all of a sudden it's a it's a white face and it's it's the hero from the football team, and we can talk about how he never was addicted to drugs until he broke his leg or twisted his knee. Yeah. And the problem is, like, if we dive into that story, like, that story doesn't happen. People have <laughs> people people have histories with substances prior to being exposed right. to them, right? And have relationships, right? I mean, maybe. But but, yeah. but, you're, but that point is it has to be heard because yeah. the history of the drug war is about race and class. Yes. And and, and the solutions matter, right? Depending yeah. on what you look like. Yeah. And and we've got to bring these solutions to everybody. Yeah. Got to bring these solutions to yeah. everybody. Yeah. yeah. I mean, the big thing that drives me nuts is that Dare is still in the public schools. I mean, I just cannot understand that they're like why do we do this to, i mean because we're, we're you know this is a damaging narrative you know when we talk about you know re redoing our history books like let's put in some history of you know substance abuse through the ages and that yeah. would be way more accurate i got one better for you let's have a real conversation about how drugs feel because sometimes they feel good oh yeah because sometimes they feel I good don't know. Uh, yeah, I, I wouldn't know. <laughs> I talked to some folks. Yeah, I mean, you, I mean, but, you, but like, you really starting to ask me personal questions. But, but well, I mean, I think the parallel with sex education is, is, is oh, unmissable, yes. right? Yes. Let's I talk am. about okay. pleasure, yeah, right? Yes. yes, there are some things that can happen that would negatively impact your life, and 
there are some wonderful things and some beautiful things that can come of it, right? Mm -hmm. Like, we don't talk about the empathy that comes from drugs sometimes. We don't talk about the spiritual presence and and things that happen. We don't have a real conversation. Mm -hmm. We don't talk about those. Mm -hmm. And and until we have that move out of the black and white, right, the hurt or non-hurt, the abstinence or the use, and have real conversations about how these things are going to work, like, we're going to be stuck. And we're going to have the same solutions. And the people in the city are still trying to apply the same solutions to the problem that we've applied for decades. And it's not changing. Well, and again, when you don't have an honest conversation about something, it becomes uh, that stereotype because everybody knows the person who, like, very straight-laced in high school, got to college, had some beers at a party, and just went off the complete deep end. And part of that is because it's the way they rebel then because they've been taught that substances and whatever it is are, you know, either – uh, they become very romanticized. They become uh, a, a crutch. They become all these things because we don't talk about them in a way that's incorporated in our lives and society. They like perfect example: sex education. You know, people end up getting pregnant because it's just like, oh, I don't know that this. It's like, yeah, it's because your weird school is only allowed to talk to you about like the physical makeup of ovaries and not what they do and how you get pregnant. And how sad is that introduction, right? That my introduction to something is negative, right, or has a consequence that's bigger than what it has to be for me. If I had that education ahead of time and somebody talked to me about the pleasure and the safety, right? The thing that drives me nuts about D.A.R.E. is that it's a lie and it teaches children that adults lie to you and you should not trust them. Like, I mean, you know, it teaches kids like adults will tell you that if you do drugs, you're going to die or you, there are going to be serious consequences. And then you go out in the woods in southwestern Virginia and you use some drugs and there's no serious consequences. You're like, mm, adults don't know what they're yeah, talking now, about. Now all bets are off, right? All the safeties are off at that point because I can die. But we didn't tell you about that part. Yeah. So you had to find that out for yourself. Right. And, and now then you got to explore the rest of it on now your Now you got to dose yourself and figure out the dosing yeah. for yourself uh, entirely, you know, on your, you know, sad little adolescent. Lesson, you know, brain, which is not which the best is not way to do it. Right, right? Yeah, <laughs> like making decisions is hard. Well, let's, let's, let's last comment. Right? Well, yeah, no, but I mean, this is a good segue because, you know, those brains and bad crap I did yeah. when I was a teenager. <laughs> There's a lot of legal drugs that seemed super right. cool because right. I wasn't allowed to use them until I was older. So I, then I became to associate with them. I was like, well, if I smoke cigarettes when I'm 15, by God, I am 25% cooler. <laughs> Than if I was just hanging out this bowling alley by myself, yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> like, and, and, and it becomes like a question. This is for me about legal drugs too. Then because yeah. you know, uh, I mean, you you'll see this in like rehab places and NA and A meetings. Like you can get people off most drugs and whatever else, but get them to quit smoking cigarettes is a really tough thing. And, you know, there's a lot. And same with the alcohol, only because it's ubiquitous, because you can get it just about anywhere. I mean, what, where then do you go, you know, if we're talking openly about sex and, and drugs and whatever else, how do we conquer some of those things that are kind of out in the open but still present such a huge problem? Well, I'm glad you brought up about the legal drugs here because uh, recently we e cigarettes have been in the in the news lately and uh, a mother from Missouri has fou- uh, filed a lawsuit against Juul um, accusing the number one e-cigarette company of marketing to teenagers and getting her 14 year old daughter hooked on nicotine also Juul is fighting a similar lawsuit brought by the state of North Carolina um, tobacco know, state, right? Yeah, tobacco yeah. state, that's right. That's, uh, that's uh, shocker, right? <laughs> right. So, I mean, now we have now we're fighting e-cigarettes. Now I know we there was we I thought the war was over with cigarettes, but uh, now they've kind of 
created a new way of providing nic- that nicotine fit <laughs> to everyone now. What's so, weird yeah. to me is that actually there are other ways besides Juul of getting that nicotine fix. Oh, They're really, just not. Well, no. Well, so actually, <laughs> so speaking of people who use substances, I know a lot of. I know a lot of doctors who have like leftover nicotine use that they have they have to manage that um, they they go into work and they've got patches on them. And I actually know doctors who like ended up like needing the that like, you know, a lot of doctors are very addicted to caffeine. That's a whole separate issue and never come for my caffeine. Okay, that is the last substance. I'm not letting it go. (laughs) Going to use it till I die. Um, And caffeine is also deadly. But anyways, so nicotine, you know, there's patches, there's um, gum. There are safe ways to use nicotine that are not inhaling it. I'm mm-hmm. sorry. Like mm-hmm. inhaling a substance is probably like at least from a biology standpoint, inhaling a substance is one of the worst ways to do it because your lungs are so delicate and they're so like just um, they're so available for um, for 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 harm because of the delicacy of them as an anatomical organ that like I just you know like any way you can get it into your bloodstream besides that please do. Will you? Will but you? We don't want people injecting So 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 right. It is a spectrum though, right? And so and so inhaling something is dumb, and inhaling a vape compared to a cigarette. Is less dumb, yeah. Right? There's less harm. So let's not is put it? dumb and smart. Hold on. Let's. Yeah. I apologize. Yeah. So There's my judgment coming. So right? It's dumber and dumber. No, no. That's that's my judgment of me, right? That's oh, my okay. self judgment right. because okay. I'm not proud, right? I'm not proud that I vape, but I but I still so it's less. Thingy? Yeah, it is the vape. So so but but it's but it's still less harm, right? So yeah. it's a spectrum, and there are other ways that are safer, right? But oh, like yeah. snooze, dipping, all that stuff's bad, and it's oh, so wow. it's definitely not as cool. Like I'm gonna, I'm gonna put this out there. The reason that Jewel works, I'm gonna roll up my sleeves and yeah, show my patch. Yeah, yeah. the reason that smoking is is it looks cool. You are breathing out smoke. So like until you can make something that's safer and cooler, that looks like a dragon, right? Then it's never gonna it like, like go a, away. Wait a minute, Will. It looks like a crack pipe. I yeah, mean, but, but I mean, I mean it doesn't matter. What it, yeah, but whatever it looks like though, it's the fact that you are breathing out smoke. And until people stop yeah. thinking that image is cool. You're never, and that's that's why everyone's going after Jewel, right? And I'm not defending Jewel, but I'm saying, like, it's the hip new, like, t- king of the mountain, right? So they're the new Marlboro, right? They're the new cowboy, you know, having a hard cigarette after bringing in the herd. You know, it's like cool kids with their, like, USB sticks. It's like, this is the future, I just dad. think it looks crazy. Yeah, right? it does. Like, it does. But even cigarettes look dumb. I mean, but. No, cigarettes <laughs> can look cool, but. Hey, yeah. I'm not, but I'm not advocating. I'm, I'm 100% not advocating smoking because it's something that I, honestly, I tried to smoke. I think I was, like, sixth grade. And I died, <laughs> like just well, I, like one inhale, I hope like your I died. Are not listening to My this dad part. is listening, and it's and he'll be fine. But <laughs> but I tried, I for real, I tried once, and I was like, this is gross and disgusting. I will never do it again. The same things are things I've never been able to inhale anything, so mm. I guess that's good. But I personally don't see the attraction. I also don't see. I don't get it. Well, right, okay, like okay. I don't get it. So if we go back to like my legal meth prescription, people who end up smoking lots of times, and same with the, the abundant use of caffeine, have something going on upstairs. Like my neurons don't fire exactly right. So 
I would smoke a bunch of cigarettes. I would take a bunch of Adderall, which again made me want to smoke cigarettes. And I would drink a lot of caffeine because all those things help me focus in a way that my brain usually doesn't do. Mm -hmm. So I think, again, people um, people are worried about stigmas, about mental health and, mm -hmm. and fixing any kind of mental faculty that's going on that you end up getting again, creating layers of problems. And again, for a lot of people, like again, smoking is 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 one of the things people use to do to work. It's how you take a break. It's how you stay focused. It's all these things because nicotine keeps you that like razor focus. You know, right? It's like same reason everyone drinks those awful energy drinks now. It's Gross. the same. Well, yeah, but it's the same thing. You're self diagnosing <laughs> caffeine, whatever else, to, Just to, drink to do a Pepsi and you'll solution. be good. Yeah. So, but so, also, cigarette smells. Man, I'm, I'm sorry. Yeah. I mean, you know, that's my clothes. I'm sorry. I, mean, <laughs> I can do it in my apartment, and it's yeah, okay. Yeah, like, you know, I mean, it just smell. it just smells bad. I had I um I had someone who uh who used to be my roommate and used to smoke cigarettes and I mean it was I mean it was just terrible. I mean I mean it just smells bad. And then when they hang around you, they, you know it gets on your clothes. Well, and, so, so the one thing I'm gonna say as a biologist um, is uh -oh, anybody uh -oh. who says anybody who tells you that there's a drug without a side effect. Run! Yeah, yeah. They're liars. Yeah. So, I mean, this would be actually useful education in yeah. the public schools. If someone tells you that you can take a drug, I mean any drug, I mean caffeine, um, I mean anything, and there's going to be no side effects. If it's got effects, it's got side effects. Mm -hmm. Now, the question is the balance of those two, right? And what's good for right, you. Yeah. Right. And making that decision as an individual. When I, when oh, I yeah. am informed... I get to make that decision, right? I have agency too, but like I, I don't really have agency if I don't have all of the information, right? I'm making an uninformed choice. I, I, I want to step back though because I think one of the things that this talks to, right, is the social nature of substance use. So if we look at people, so like it's more than sixty percent of the people that 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 okay. More than 60% of the people that, that find, that, that, that go through either being subs diagnosed with a substance use stigma, di ugh, I'm tripping because I was just told not to, 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 to cut <laughs> her off. I'm going to take a puff of that But anyway, so we look at, when we look at people who are diagnosed with substance use disorders at an early age, say in their teens, by the time they're 30, that's the average age that somebody no longer meets that. And 60% of them do that without intervention. So we're looking at a social piece, right? Because it turns chemistry. out, it turns out, me bringing a piece of crack over to Will's house at like fifty-two is different than if I was twenty-seven, <laughs> right? Like yeah. and at the party, like, hey, let's go in the back, Will, and smoke a piece of crack. Like, it changes, right? But here's but here's the difference. The thing that that doesn't happen for is smoking and alcohol, mm -hmm. right? Because we accept those. Because mm -hmm. at eighty-six, it's okay, it's right? Okay it's okay for my drunk uncle to still drink, right? Mm -hmm. So I mean, there is a social aspect to this, that, the, the, and that's why those drugs pop up, right? Because these are the ones we've socialized. These are the ones that we say are okay. Well, then, and then where do you go from there? Because on, on one hand, I'm a, I'm a big, um, I'm a big proponent of decriminalizing certain drugs, mm -hmm. but at the same time. You know, you end up with uh, the, and I'm just going to be very frank about this. The weed I smoked when I was 15 is very different than the weed in 2019. Well, how old did you just turn? Yeah. I'm like <laughs> 29. Yeah. No. Uh, I mean, it's turned 39. So, like, again, it's been a long time. But in that time, you know, it's like there was an arms race. 
to see. And I don't even know, you know, if you even if you go somewhere that's legal anymore, I don't even know how to talk to people about weed. And it becomes this whole different thing. And I'm, I'm sounding like so that's the bootlegger's formula, 40, right? right? So that's the bootlegger's formula. If I have to get something to somebody and it's illegal, right? I need sure. it to be as small and as compact and impotent as possible, which is why fentanyl's here, which is why those strains of marijuana are here. And the thing is, as long as people understand what the potency of that is, let them make that choice. Mm-hmm. Oh, good. Well, I mean, it sounds like we can talk about drugs all day long. <laughs> all, day. <laughs> all day long. <laughs> okay, well. Thank you, Lawson. No, but Lawson, no, seriously. No, thank you. Seriously, you, thank you for bringing a very important subject um, to our community. And Thanks for having topic. me. No, thank you for coming. You, we'll bring you back, too. Uh-oh. Yeah. We'll, we'll bring you back during the holiday season. Uh-oh. <laughs> Uh-oh. All right. Yeah, and my, my brother, we'll the, the alcohol spice. supplier. We'll do the pumpkin spice version. <laughs> there you go. So addicted. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. So, so Lawson, what we usually do around the table is uh, really talk about what they look forward to this week and some um, some issues, some important topic they might think. And um, we always, always like to start with our ladies. So I'm going to start with Karen. Go ahead, Karen. <laughs> what am I looking forward to this week? Um, you know, one of the things that has been actually kind of a hot topic in the Berg, Christiansburg, Blacksburg, whatever Berg you want to call, um, the development um, at the old Blacksburg Middle School site. And so now they're pushing to not make it student housing. Um, And if you're familiar with where the Blacksburg Middle School site is, it's um, not close to campus. It's kind of closer to the Christiansburg side um, as coming into Christiansburg. And recently there have been, well, we all know Virginia Tech just accepted like 8 billion freshmen. (laughs) That has affected us. But I think it's really important, this push to not have more student housing, specifically in this area of town, I think is really, really important. So I am... um, curious as to how this is going to come about, how this is going to play out over the next few weeks. Okay. Catherine? All right. Well, I am still plugging people to um, tune into the Gun Violence Task Force. So that's coming up this, um, not, um, this coming Monday, the 9th, um, I believe at 7 p.m. And um, I'd have to, I have to look up where that'll be, but I think it's at the, was it the, the last one was at the. Um, it was the city council. Right, wasn't it? Yeah, but I don't think this one's at city council. I think this one, um, it was at the youth um, building over on, um, on Melrose, the, um, the. Um, the Goodwill? Yeah, in the Goodwill Youth Building. The Can last you? one was, but I don't know. I think this one might be the same place. We'll see. Okay. So, um, but I encourage people to look that up and check that out um, and, and, and come because we're making important decisions. And just like with the, you know, guns are something like guns are not drugs. They're distinctly different. But, you know, this is a social problem. So we yeah. need to talk through our social issues together. And not just leave it up to the guys who are like, more guns are good. I would, yeah. su- I would submit they're both social problems. Yeah. 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 William. Uh, what am I looking forward to this week? Oh, man. Uh, you know what? Yeah, I, I'm going to... I'm going to play real ignorant this week because it's my birthday or whatever. I just didn't do anything. I didn't read the news. I didn't pay attention to all the horrible things that usually, like... <laughs> You know, specter over my life. So I got, I got nothing this week. Oh, okay. But wait, you watched the Dark Crystal, didn't you? Oh, I did. It's very good. Was it good? Yeah, it's all the reboot. Yeah. I couldn't make it through the intro. <laughs> really? Me either though. Right, like, and I loved the Dark Crystal coming oh, yeah. out of childhood. I loved that right, movie, and too, I couldn't sorry. make it. So I just was like, oh. Get into it. It gets, re- it gets real dark. Okay. No pun intended. 
Okay. okay. I'll, I'll, I'll follow that ride. Okay. Well, all right. Well, Dark yeah, Netflix, give us some money. All right. Um, well, let me wrap this up real quick. <laughs> but, um, oh, I'm sorry. Uh, Lawson, go ahead. What do you, what do you I'm looking forward to talking to you all about naloxone and how to use it and how to get it out in your community. I know. We didn't have in time the next to do few that. Minutes. We'll, next, we'll, we'll, we'll do it. After the show. Yeah, Lawson, we'll do it after and, and real quick, if, if people want to know more about your organization or about yeah. uh, these life-saving techniques or any of this other stuff, what can, where can we send them? Sure. The, the best place right now is our Facebook page. Um, that's where we're putting together information, education. Um, that's where we announce our events. Um, you can reach us through that Facebook page, through the messaging app. Um, folks reach out to us. They say, hey, look, I need something. And we, we reach out and find them. So that's the best way right now. Um, and, and I really appreciate being being able to sit here and uh, be a part of this. No, you're welcome. You're welcome. Uh, yeah, real quick, uh, I'm looking forward to uh, two things. I think the uh, Democratic um, presidential candidates have now been trimmed down to 10, or is it 9? I think. No, just for the, the debate. Oh, they still, still people It's still running? a billion people running. We're not paying attention but to those But we're just recognizing only 10? Yeah, so only 10 made have made it, made the cut for this next debate. So the other people who didn't make the cut, they still don't run for president. I'm aware of about four people I'm willing to pay attention to running for president. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Well, I'm looking forward to seeing that debate coming up shortly, um, soon. And also, also Hurricane Doran. Oh. It's not going to hit us, but it seems like it's going to make this week is going to be some massive damages, on, especially on our eastern seaboard. Uh, sea, um, sea, sea so um, I, look, I hope our families and if you have friends down there making sure that they're safe and their prayers are with them. Okay. Hey, this has been a great discussion. Appreciate it. This has been great, and we'll need to do this again. Thank you, and thank you for listening to Our Voices, Our Community, presented by Colors VA Magazine. If You, you can listen to us each Sunday at 3 p.m. on WROE 90, 95.7 Radio Free Roanoke. If you, if you like what you've heard today, leave us a review. Also, be sure to like Our Voices, Our Community on Facebook. Thank you, and have a blessed day.